Oh, you look adorable. I'm so impressed. Well done, you. Thank you. I feel like I'm like, welcome to Masterpiece Theatre. <laughs> uh, I'm just like sitting in this armchair. It's kind also of. not alcoholic. It's a cranberry and soda. <laughs> well, you, girl, you do whatever you want. Are you kidding? I, I interview a bunch of cocaine addicts on this thing. You're totally good to go. <laughs> All right. Here we go. <laughs> Oh, hi. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky ones that got out and all the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I currently work, or I used to work, at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. With us today is the lovely Caitlin Statton. She is an actress hailing from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Her multiple credits include the British role of Vivian in the feature film Where'd You Go, Bernadette, Directed by Richard Richard Linklater. I am just here. We go. I've never done this before. He again. goes. He goes by Rick. Actually. So okay. Great. I don't know. <laughs> Directed by Rick Linklater. She has also co-starred on various Fox shows, most notably Lucifer and Rake. Caitlin also completed the Shakespeare course at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, making her a classically trained actor. Only to be called back to LA, as so many of us are. I better know Caitlin from crossing paths in LA through how small the business of entertainment actually is. Then I ended up stalking her many times to be on the podcast which she finally agreed to, even with a broken nose, which she currently has. So, <laughs> Caitlin, tell us, what's your deal? What got you into acting? What's your favorite role? Tell us everything. Mm, I think it was because I was a ballerina in high school, and I didn't know any actors. So suddenly I had this more character-driven part, and it just felt so much fun to do that. You had a character-driven um, part as a ballerina? Yeah. Okay. Yep. It was Okay, so it was this high school ballet production. It was choreographed by the teacher. Everybody was super stressed. And it was very technical, a lot of dancers, a lot of crossing, a lot of corps de ballet. Uh, it was called Frivolities. And I played this clown character who's on stage most of the time, just making people laugh. And he falls in love with a doll and she doesn't really notice him. And anyways, the teacher ran out of time to choreograph it. And I ended up just getting to improvise the whole opening bit with the audience. Oh, my God. And it was just it was so much fun. And I was doing point work as well in a different production. And it just made me think, wow, this is actually why I like performing is just having that connection to an audience. Can you explain so, to yeah. people who don't have experience in ballet how intensely grueling and awful for your feet point work actually is? Can you like talk about that at Ooh. all? Yes, uh, it's very, very intense. You have to train pretty much every day. And you also kind of notice if you take time off, like if you're not doing it every day, you start to not do so well and your body is constantly getting tweaked here and there so your feet um you know you're up on your toes but it's also just your muscles like you have to have a lot of strength and so if you don't build up to that well and then you also have to have facility which I wasn't that flexible and I also kind of joined ballet pretty late I was a gymnast for most of my young adult life so I was a gymnast I think from age five to I retired right when I turned 13. <laughs> well for gymnasts that's a long career eight yeah. years I mean that is yeah I was so done so then I transitioned into ballet and I liked it it was a lot less difficult than gymnastics in some ways but then in other ways you know when you get to a certain level I knew I wasn't going to be a professional ballerina or if I did I wouldn't get a very good contract it was a good timing to kind of transition into acting oh that's awesome um, yeah and I, well, I was in Colorado though so I went to Denver and tried to get an agent and they said well you know, we have young mom parts and we have kid parts, but you're a teenager, so you should go to LA. So then that kind of got that whole thing sort of started. 
Oh, that's awesome. And do you, so in Colorado, do you feel like that community fostered you to want to be an artist of some kind or was like art just kind of in your blood as a, as a member of your family? How'd you get the bug bitten? Cause being a gymnast is an artist. So how did you, Yeah. what, what started? This is so then? much fun. I wasn't expecting you to ask about this. This is great. <laughs> um, I'm getting to think about my life. You know, I think it's probably my family. My, my mom and dad are both Anglophiles and they both watched a lot of movies and they always talked about good actors and what made good actors. Uh, we had like several family favorite films like it's a mad 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 world with all the top like comedians of the day back in the 60s or whenever and you know hitchcock that sort of thing so a lot of classics but then also i think just british actors we watched a lot of dickens and also in colorado it snows a lot and you're sort of snowed in and there was like periods of time where they didn't want to pay for cable tv and so i would go to the library and check out all these british miniseries dickens you know jane eyre you know, the Bronte sisters, whatever they had there, Jane Austen, I already said that. Anyways, so it it kind of got me very focused on British actors for some reason, because they were always like recurring, you kind of got used to them playing certain characters. And so I think that kind of, I think when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a British actor. And I didn't know that that's not really an option. (laughs) (laughs) Can't change where you're born, Caitlin, sorry. (laughs) I know. I actually, I remember filling out an application for the National Youth Theater in England. And I filled it all out. And then it got to the part where you have to be an English citizen. And I realized, oh, I'm not a resident. I'm not a resident of the UK. I'm not going to get to apply. Shoot. <laughs> uh, that's such a bummer. But that's interesting that, that the British sort of because I, I want to go back to something that you said. It is very common for people who don't watch anything British or anything on the BBC. They allow their actors to be multiple parts on the same network in various shows like they just, you know, you, you can star in Doctor Who and then you can be in, I don't know, a revamp of The Office the next week or whatever. And I think that's yeah. very unique to uh, that community because I think in the mm-hmm. in the United States, God help you if you got an iconic role, that will be sort of who you always are. Like if you're, you know, Steve Carell, I think got lucky because his role as Michael Scott was so iconic. And then he went on to an amazing film career. But, you know, I think that's a that's a freedom that I think those actors have that is diff- harder to find here unless you're a character actor. So, okay. Yeah, for sure. And they almost kind of allow you to play ingenues and that sort of thing, even though you may not be cut out for that or you they just have a lot of really interesting people and Mm. so it was it was kind of I didn't realize that a lot of their backgrounds was they were theater so they they trained up like they did a lot of regional theater it depended on like what generation they were coming from because obviously that's kind of changed a lot more in recent years but a lot of them had done a ton of theater before they even did film and tv so they kind of had this sort of way of showcasing actors so you get into theater you do national youth theater or something and so I was sort of (laughs) kind of, you know, putting them all on pedestals and sort of just, you know, admiring from afar from Colorado. (laughs) And so uh, I think one of the first auditions I ever had, it was when I was a teenager and it was for Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe for the Chronicles of Narnia. And I messaged the casting director. um, I think it was Pippa Hall. And she said, "Okay, sure, you can send me your best, you know, audition tape with the English accent. 
And so I was so excited because I got I got the casting director to let me send in my tape. And of course, you know, they I should like I can't stress enough how much I think these kids are going to actually be from England. But you know, you can you can send it in. And so I never I never heard anything. But then I was convinced that I had to keep going and find a job. That's a lovely amount of tenacity, though. And I think that that goes back to sort of your foundation. I mean, not to speak for you, but your foundation as a gymnast and a ballerina, like those are two insane sports slash arts and the mm-hmm. discipline that both require require, you know, I think it fosters that idea of, oh, no, I can accomplish anything because you see what your body can go through and where you can get. And then you're like, oh, acting. Come on. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to send you my tape casting director in London. Sure. I'm gonna do that right now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it's also like a lot of, I think, psychological barriers as well, too. I mean, you think, yes, you have to have the technical ability and you have to have certain facility for gymnastics has certain things that help you get to a certain level and same thing with ballet and then probably also acting. I feel sometimes, you know, people say acting is a young man's game. So you want to like get in as soon as you know you want to be an actor because it takes a while to get yourself established, especially if you don't know anybody in the business or you don't have, you know, whatever connections to kind of help you get going. So if you're starting off afresh, everyone I talk to, even people who are in theater departments, they always said, oh, no, just just get yourself to L.A. audition as much as you can and you'll get you'll get experience as you go. But I think somewhere in me, I I wanted that really intense classical training and I wanted to be legit. (laughs) I wanted to do the really hard stuff or whatever. And um, I got to do a little bit of that with the Shakespeare course at at RADA, which was so cool. But it's also, I think, a mental thing of confidence and really being comfortable with who you are and prioritizing, being true to that, which is complicated because you're trying to also get a job. And then there's also some people who say, well, you know, you can always have acting be a hobby. Oh, shut up. No, you can't. No, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny, you know, trying to navigate. Everyone has an opinion. And I think when Uh. I was first starting, that was the hardest thing was trying to decide who to listen to. Mm. But maybe it came from, yeah, gymnastics and ballet where, you know, you just have to keep going. That's a great things will eventually kind of sort themselves out and you'll start to see. Oh, yeah. okay, that coach was a good coach. That one maybe not so much or whatever. And you, you know, you start to figure out, it just takes a while to learn something. So you have this tenacity and this focus and you do the part of the improvised clown on stage and you're like, Oh, (laughs) this is the jam. I want to do this always. So how soon, like, was that a very quick transition of like, Hey mom and dad, I'm moving to LA. See ya. And then you left or did it take a little while to do that? It took a little while because I didn't really know any actors. So I immediately started to try to figure out who the actors were. A lot of them were mostly in Denver, who the agents were. There was like also a lot of crossover with modeling but I also wasn't quite tall enough for modeling. And so I could get some modeling jobs, but it wasn't, I wasn't going to get scouted by some of the top ones because you have to be at least 5'9", maybe 5'10". So that was always kind of an interesting thing of trying to do both of those at the same time, trying to submit for the modeling side of the agency and also the acting side of the agency. And then also trying to do like theater, which is totally different. I think I was really glad that I couldn't really sing that well. And so that just completely ruled out musical theater. And I was just so relieved because it was one less thing I had to try to do. That's such a good point. <laughs> yeah. So because especially people who are doing music, musical theater, their auditions are so intense. Mm-hmm. They have to learn choreography. They have to do the singing. They have to. I mean, it's grueling. And then you're it's live theater. So it's, I don't know that it pays extremely well probably if you're on a run of a hit show, but then you're also churning those shows out. So Eight it can week. become, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like an amalgamation. I think of being an athlete with being a singer and then also being this coordinated 
you know, actor as well. So. Yeah. And, you know, no one has, has said that on the podcast yet. Nobody I've interviewed. And I think that's such an astute point. You know, one of my good friends, David, who's on an earlier episode, went from being a competitive cheerleader to Broadway and, you know, said competitive cheerleading was kind of like, I mean, it was definitely grueling and hard and whatever. And he was like, but Broadway is insane. And, you know, yeah. you, you, yeah, you declaring it an ath- athletic event. Those are not your words, but some version of that. I agree. I think that that's a, and that's overlooked. I think that it's just like, yeah, we'll perform. That's what you do. Don't you love doing this? And it's like, yeah, yeah but eight shows a week belting from your guts, you know, that's a, you know, and physically performing the cast of Hamilton. I look at their choreography and all they did with the kicks mm-hmm. and the, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's an athletic event. That's what that was. Yeah. Okay. So, so if you, so you pick LA, you come out to LA. Now, did you move with anyone? Did you just like pack up your car and go? Did you have a plan? What was your (laughs) process to get out there? Oh my gosh. It was so much. Okay. Well, first of all, from the time that I was doing the ballet, I also got involved in the speech and debate competitions, but it wasn't even really that. I only focused in on the dramatic interpretation category. And so it was the closest thing to acting. And I competed in that and did pretty well I ended up getting but it was like I was also homeschooled for high school so it was the NCFCA which was a homeschool uh, speech and debate tournament so they had local level and then they had national level and I did this one piece as Joan of Arc and I like acted out burning at at the stake holy (laughs) shit that's awesome (laughs) yeah I mean looking back on that it's like whoa um I just really wanted to make a statement I guess And I ended up getting like first place for the state tournament or something. But then I got disqualified because I already graduated from high school early or it was this whole thing. So I just kind of kept moving on because I knew that that really wasn't acting per se, but it did kind of help me get out to California because there was a school in LA County that did have a speech and debate team. They didn't even have a theater department because it was a Christian university, Biola. And I guess they had a film department that a lot of them went on to go to USC grad school. So a lot of them um, did a lot behind the camera and they had a lot of training for that. But I was kind of the only actress on campus for the time I was there. So I was only there for a year and a half. And then my last semester there, I got an agent and manager in LA and I was driving up and not telling anybody while I was still doing a full workload on scholarship and the honors program and all this stuff. And I was juggling way too much. Oh, God love ballerinas. Yeah. I, I, know. <laughs> I don't y'all are wired differently than I am. Good for you. Yeah. But it was great because the school was way too expensive. It was out of state tuition. You know, if I'd stayed there maybe longer, I could have gotten in-state residency or something like that. But it was not really worth it, especially if I was going to be an actor. I knew I was going to be a server in the service industry or bartender. (laughs) And so it was the perfect timing to have an opportunity in L.A. I did have representation. I was actively auditioning and I kind of was getting a sense of what that felt like. So I convinced my parents to let me basically quietly drop out of school. I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> you just go to the registrar's office and you fill out a form. I think I told maybe like two people. And then I just sort of disappeared. And then I moved to LA right after that. And yeah. I love that. That's so, I didn't know that it was so not dramatic at all to quit college. If I had known that, I may not have finished because that is crazy, way too easy. It's like, fill out this form and hell is over. <laughs> like, well, fuck. Yeah. I, I wanted to wait until I got the final grades because I didn't want any of the professors or anybody to kind of try to sabotage me because it, sure. it, was, it was this honors program where it was all oral. It was like an Oxford style thing. So you had to present everything. And so 
your grade was somewhat subjective. It wasn't like you were taking an exam or something like the upper division courses, they'd have, you know, normal things like that. But for the honors program, you really had to, you know, pay attention to (laughs) how your professor perceived you. And so I just knew there, it wasn't a very actor friendly place. It was a very industry friendly place in the sense that they really championed the film department, but it was mostly guys and it was mostly on the other side of the camera. So I, I think I got what I needed from it, but then it did kind of haunt me in the sense that I never finished my degree. So for somebody who did really love school, <laughs> it was kind of, yeah. I still kind of miss it, you know, Sure. but, uh, but it all worked out in the sense that I don't have any student loan debt, which is great. Yeah, well, that's, that's freedom that most people will never know in their lifetime. So that's amazing, Caitlin. Good for you. So, okay. So you, so you start hitting the pavement in LA and then, so kind of get us up to today. So I know you are physically currently immediately in LA, which I am not, I should have said this programming note up top, but I never remember to do it because this is just so normal for me. Now I am in Ohio. Caitlin is in Los Angeles right now. And, uh, this is over zoom. So please excuse any auditory issues that I can't edit out. Be patient. You all have been so lovely about it so far. Please continue to be, hopefully this is over soon that I all should have set up top back to you, Caitlin. So you're in LA physically right now. Do you live there? Uh, not at the moment. I'm sort of, I mean, I do and I don't, I'm sort of in limbo. All my stuff is in a storage unit. What? We are so similar. All of my stuff is in a storage unit in Los Angeles. (laughs) That's not stressful at all. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I just checked on it and it looks good. Isn't that a weird stress? Like I feel really, really weird that I haven't checked on my stuff in like five months. I'm like, what if it's all gone? I literally wouldn't know if my storage unit's empty and someone's got a really dope ass bed and a lamp. Wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. I was trying to run down a checklist of how likely somebody would be to break into it and Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't even have a TV in there or anything exciting. So, and also it's really hard to find anything because everything is stacked. Nice. So I I can't even find stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Caitlin is one of the, uh, Caitlin and I have a very similar story, not to speak for you, Caitlin, but um, in that the, she was working in nightlife, which we will get into in the second portion of this, but her club was shut down and obviously the entertainment industry was shut down and we basically got the news within like a week of each other of like, nope, everything's different. Good luck. Figure it out. And, you know, we were chatting back and forth of like, okay, do we stay? Do we go? Do we stay? Do we go? What do we do? What do we do? And the the temporary move out of LA seems to be the, the most common theme I'm getting from most of my artist friends is, I mean, I have five other friends who ha- now have storage units and are like, I can't afford to live here with no income. So I'm going to go back to either where I'm from or a friend of mine and her boyfriend are like renting a place up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, people have just sort of spread out. Scattered. So what made you decide to temporarily bounce out? I think it's as soon as I realized they were going to start shutting down more permanently. I actually turned in my 30 day notice because I was on a month to month lease with my landlord March 31st because that was when they started announcing that at the earliest, maybe Easter or, and I, it just kind of seemed like the writing on the wall was, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be something. Oh, that's interesting. So So you had a sense that it was going to be longer than they were projecting. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Just the whole, cause also LA has so many millions of people. Sure. And Mm -hmm. I was more nervous about them shutting down flights or state borders or, you know, it was a lot of unknowns at the time. So I figured I'd rather be with family. And also I was thinking, cause I think it was when they said, Oh, you won't be evicted from your rent with your renting. 
but but then it was like, oh, you'll just pay it back later. Mm-hmm. But that would be months and months and months of rent you would owe then. That accumulates. This was not, it was not help. When I read the, the thing that they yeah. put on our door too, I was like, fuck you. This doesn't help anyone. This just delays debt. Yes. And then also we were renting from the owner of a particular condo. So that owner has a mortgage. They have to pay their mortgage. So we're, our rent is helping offset their mortgage. So then what will they do? Because then the bank, the bank is not going to forgive them. So I just felt like what I can do is take responsibility for myself, which is I'm not in a financial position where I, because some people do have enough in savings where they can live sure. off of their savings for three to six months or whatever it is they have budgeted. But sure. God love I did them. not have that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also I think if you actually own a, pro- like if you own a house, that would be totally different. Or like you said, if you have somewhere you can go or whatever. Sure. That's different. But the only reason why I was paying an exorbitant amount of rent to begin with was to be in that location, to be able to go get jobs and to sustain that trajectory. So it just didn't make any sense to keep. It felt like it'd be just throwing money away. But I had no idea it would go on as long as it has. I honestly thought it would be over by the end of the summer at the most. So I thought, well, I'll save, you know, three months worth of rent and then I'll figure it out. And then it's turned into this epic (laughs) Well, we're in month eight, so we're doing it. We're in the eighth month. Um, So you are currently, so you're in LA right now, probably auditioning, fluttering around, Mm -hmm. doing your thing there for now. You've been going back and forth a fair amount because you've had some, (laughs) you've had, well, it's good. I mean, it's good. The industry's beckoning you back. So when do you see yourself going back to LA or do you? I wanted to do it ASAP. Initially, I thought because the Southeast I thought was had a separate sort of thing happening because they they weren't shutting down as much as LA was at the time. That was more April, May. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll kind of I always like sort of being ahead of the trend or something. <laughs> so I'll leave LA before anybody else thinks to do that. And then I'll go to Atlanta and go get go get some work over there because they'll still be because Tyler Perry was doing his whole production thing and so I thought I'd go over there and just keep working. But I went out there for two weeks in July. And it was still super shut down. Pinewood Studios wasn't open. Yeah, but it was good because I actually got to be down there for two weeks and get the lay of the land. I got approved for an apartment fairly easily and actually coordinated. I got an agent down there. And with my agent, I talked to them about it. And they said, oh, yeah, especially because they were thinking everything was going to be full steam ahead come September 1st. And when that wasn't quite the case, they figured probably things won't really be full steam until January of 2021 or something like that. So if you want to go and stay with your parents for a couple more months. Do that. You can still keep doing self-tapes. And I have had some good little auditions for self-tapes from down there. But yeah, so I mean, compared to most people at my level in terms of, I guess, not like my level skill-wise, but resume level, which is, you know, how they let you be seen for things. I've gotten to audition a lot during the shutdown, which I'm very grateful for, just because I have agents in multiple states all sending me self-tapes. But the predominant thing has been commercials. Sure. Which I've always enjoyed commercials, but when you have to stage them. Oh, it's so annoying. Them. <laughs> it's so annoying. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, well, on that <laughs> note, um, that's that's Caitlin's origin. That's how she that's how she got there and how she's doing it. So we hope you enjoyed your apps, everybody. We're gonna go on to the entrees after a quick break. Well, we're back and now it is time for the entrees. Okay. 
Caitlin, as a super supportive listener of the show, you know how this goes, but the questions yes. might change a little bit because I know a little bit of your story and I want to force you into a couple stories. Okay. So what was your first job ever, ever, ever where the government took taxes out of your, out of your income? Oh, okay. I mean, my first job ever wasn't, it was like a child. Uh, it was a pineapple house, Victorian tea room, but wait, that counts. A, that totally counts. But we weren't, we were just getting, you know, little, I don't even know if we got paid. It, it, it didn't even feel like work to me because it was my friends who owned this tea room and they would dress you up in Victorian costumes and they give you like character names. And the birthday girl was always Miss Rose. And then it was kind of like dinner theater where me and one of the other girls would perform and it was a seven course tea. So you kind of set it up and they had their way of doing it and everything. And all the little girls were dressed up in Victorian costumes and they had fans and hats and gloves and like, Oh, hello, darling. You know, and all oh, that, so that's when you super, first started super, super performing girl. Fun. That wasn't the, the clown wasn't the first rule. Yeah. It was that the tea girl. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that was more when I was like 13, maybe or something. And yeah, my friends owned the business. So I was always super thrilled when they invite me to come help them, which was awesome. That's but yeah, I didn't so really fun. Like work. Yeah. And, and then, but yeah, I guess in terms of a job, job, like I worked at Biola Library. Oh, cool. Librarian. That's awesome. Yeah. And my favorite thing was like my, it was like the circulation desk. So you checked everybody's books out and things like that. And I hated actually like putting books away because it was very tedious work to get it just right because you had to visually do it. That sounds like I know hell. you do it for especially during finals week, there'd be like hundreds of books. Oh, no, thanks. Be, I know it was crazy. And there were people who took it very seriously. And I was sort of like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Um, but they all got the books back every time, you know, so it, it all worked anyways. But I, my, my favorite part of that was checking people out and then also calling the holds. So I would call people when their holds were ready and I would do different accents and stuff and just to like mess with them. I don't know. And this one kid, I called and I left a voicemail with like a British accent or something. And he came like rushing in. He's like, hi, um, I'm here for a book or something. And I was like, oh, OK. He's like, um, do you know the girl who called me? Um, <laughs> when you're like, I don't know. Like, oh, yeah, I think she went home for the day. or whatever. <laughs> um, OK, how many customer service jobs have you had? And I will count them. Okay, OK, here's the thing. So like a lot of these jobs, I would I would get hired. Right. Mm -hmm. And then. I would realize this was going to be terrible. So then I would quit and I would move on to the next. Honestly, when I first started, I think my first two years in LA, I worked, I think I tallied up and that, that included some extra work and it included some modeling things or whatever. It was like 33 jobs in the first two years or something crazy. Ooh. So basically I have like genres. So I have like retail or babysitting, being a personal assistant, a cooking class demonstrator, college librarian, promotional model, Starbucks barista, server, cocktail server, bottle server, bartender runway waiters which is you have to be an agency signed model to work there as a bartender oh runway waiters was that a massive Catering, pain in the extra ass work hostess house sitting oh house sitting counts Ugh. um yeah actually i i'm not I, I get scared at other people's houses i don't know what i don't know what it is oh i can't relax either that's why you're probably a really good house sitter i am too because i never let my guard down and i'm always like that yeah. thing, that little speck of dust was not there when they left. So I'm going to get that out of the house. Like, yeah, yes. it's, I can't relax in other people's homes. hundred percent. No, I don't know. And then, um, I also worked for this, there was a wife of a director. I'd done a play with her. She was producing a play and her direct, her husband was the director, but she was getting this horrible divorce 
but I, she had me, she just hired me to like submit her on breakdowns and do little odds and ends and then like babysit her kids. And, and then I tried to get a job in fitness. I forget the name of the, <laughs> this is how I forget. I forget everything. I forget what the name was, but it was a fitness instruction company. You, you had to be there though at like four in the morning. Girl, no. To open. No, 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 no. So I realized mm. you can't do both. Either you work a night job or yeah. you work a morning job, but you cannot bur- burn the candle on both ends. You were trying to work as like what, like bottle service and fitness? Yeah, I was trying to stagger it no, or girl. something. I was, I, it, was, it was a bad idea. So then, um, oh yeah. And then I did work study at, uh, Stella Adler Academy on Hollywood Boulevard. They're awesome. They, um, get out scholarships sometimes to students. And apparently Mark Ruffalo used to clean toilets there. Oh, bless him. Duties. Mine usually was the costume and prop room because you had to kind of keep that organized and cleaned out. So I would do that and then do my classes. I love that. Okay. I'm right. I'm trying to track these. Okay. So when you, so for the categories that you're listing right now or that you listed, 33 was the total you got overall or 33 was the first two years in LA? I actually, because I, I just remember at some point t- trying to tally it up for the first two years and just see exactly how many I'd actually been hired at or worked at for some duration. And I remember the number 33, but okay. I can't for the life of me remember all those jobs. <laughs> okay, we're not going to do it then. We're just going to, we'll I just. Feel the way actually this happened to me, I was at an, a Starbucks in an airport one time and this was like years. I forgot. I totally forgot I worked there because I was like one of my first jobs in LA was Starbucks. Starbucks. And I was in line at the Starbucks and I was looking at the menu and it, I realized I knew that there was three pumps of chai in that grande. Chai lo- <laughs> and I, it, it was, I almost thought, how do I know this? Am I psychic or I don't, not that I'm psychic. I was just really trying to figure out how I knew the ingredients. And then it hit me. You used to work at Starbucks <laughs> 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 your first year in Los Angeles. And it wasn't even like I enjoyed working there, but I got I got hired at Wood Ranch at the Grove and that was serving serving. So you can make so much more money doing that because Starbucks is only nine nine dollars an hour. And tipped if you're lucky, because most people don't tip for whatever reason. They don't tip baristas or people that are serving them coffee because it's not booze. And it's like it's far more labor intensive than booze. Yeah. Okay, so I want to know this is not (laughs) one of the normal questions. I want to know, because I would talk to you occasionally about the bottle service experience. So I have not had anyone on yet who ever spent any time doing that. A lot of us have bartended at clubs or whatever, but what was the bottle service? Like, can you explain top to bottom what a night Mm -hmm. as a bottle server looks like? (laughs) Okay. Well, you usually clock in maybe at 9 p.m. That's crazy. And as we went along, we they discovered they didn't really need us in that early. So we actually would clock in at 10 p.m. And then we would open at 11 p.m. And then nobody would really show up until midnight. And then the bigger spenders would show up at 1 a.m. And then technically at 2 a.m., they had to have everything done. But they would still, you know, they technically supposed to take the alcohol off the table at 2 a.m. But because this one club I worked at was at a hotel, they could take the bottles upstairs to the penthouse suite. And just kind of keep it going. So, and I'm sure there was a lot to that that I don't even remember because I was so not, I didn't really pay attention. I was I was thinking about the next morning because I, I, one time I had like a call back at 9 a.m. the next morning or something. Uh, so I was always kind of, I was always trying to get out of there as fast as possible. And would but you, people would kind of stay. Would you be responsible for taking the guest up to the penthouse suite and like being, continuing to serve them or would they just take it up themselves? No, it was usually, so the owner of the club, he would have his people take the bottles up to his penthouse suite because he was actually living there. So he was kind of a resident in the hotel. And then he had this club that was bringing in a lot of money, I guess. And so, yeah, 
It was crazy. Oh, do you have any horror stories from that job in particular? Oh my gosh, like every night. <laughs> I figured. Yeah, I'm trying to, um, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> there was like little um, people dressed as Oompa Loompas and they were like flown from the ceiling. Come on, and... Caitlin. Come on, Caitlin. This is <laughs> I know. too much. It's too much. Apparently, okay, so it was, it was Beecher's Madhouse and apparently Jeff Beecher, the owner, he had started this in his own, forget, I think he started in New York and they were trying to copy the box, which was a popular club in London, but it was very, like, I think the box was even more risque, if that's even possible. And then, so he kind of, I think was doing that, but he started Beechers in LA with David Arquette. So both he and David Arquette were creating this club and Kelly Osborne was also an investor. Yeah. But then David eventually had a falling out with Jeff. And so then David split off and started Bootsy Bellows. Oh, I didn't know that that's what got that started. Interesting. And so it was really interesting working for such a short period of time and making more money than you would working for eight hours at a normal restaurant job. So it was it was kind of like hitting the, the lottery of bottle service jobs, which I think there, you know, there's always that, I guess, demand for bottle service in big cities. I think there's this kind of circuit that a lot of people would do. Miami, London, LA, Vegas, Cayman Islands, whatever. So they would kind of travel around and they would frequent certain places and it was all more exclusive. So it by the time somebody, a lot of people knew about a club in terms of advertising, then it was already kind of on the way out. So it's, it they would open up these clubs where it was pretty unknown to the general public and just celebrities and spenders and whoever would come. And our club was kind of smaller just because it was never supposed to have a capacity over 300 people, I think, was the max. Or the fire marshal was supposed to come and shut us down. But we always had ton, ton of people in there. So, Way over that. Yeah. Are you comfortable yeah. telling us a, a story of something that happened to you there? Or would you rather not? Oh, yeah. No, that's fine. I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many. And it, whenever I run into anybody who works there, we'll just like have all these crazy stories. And we'll just kind of like, it's almost like you, what is that? I think that's one of the best things about being in the service industry is camaraderie. Because sure. you're both going this crazy experience. Anyways, but Beecher's Madhouse, definitely... Like, there's so many crazy, crazy, crazy stories. Like, I don't know. Can we come back to it? We can come back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. How, what was your favorite job of all of the customer service jobs that you've had? I think probably the easiest job was working as an, an ambiance model at Vive. It was the Vive Clico Polo Classic. So they have this huge polo tournament in Pacific Palisades every, they used to, like every year or something. And they have one in New York and they have one, I think they do it not the same time, but different times of the year. And... I got hired just to walk around. Nice. Yeah, it was super it was super easy, but it was also funny cuz you look like a guest, so they would dress you in an outfit and then they would, you know, do your hair and makeup and everything and then they would just have you walk and just kind of be there. So they were just like and we just want like a pretty person just <laughs> walking around. Caitlin won't say it, but she's gorgeous. So they just want like some <laughs> hot chick like roaming around the property to be like, "Isn't this a fun event? I'm hot. I'm here." <laughs> Is that what it was? Yeah, she's not. She won't yeah. say yes. Yeah, that's what no, it was. All right, you were hot. Being was I no actually I would I would just take pictures of people. Like I would because everyone was starting to only be there for Instagram, and so they had like all these really famous Instagram people who would come and wear these designer outfits and take photos for their Instagram and that sort of thing. So more often than not, I was taking Instagram pictures of people and uh, like yeah. they'd hand you your phone or their phone and they'd be like, "Hey, we're all so hot. Take a hot photo of us being hot." <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and sometimes I would just feel like I, I I have a really hard time just standing and not doing anything useful if sure. I'm there. Um, and so I sometimes would volunteer. Oh, do you want me? You know, I'm I can help. You know, and then awesome. I started becoming like a like the photographer everybody was like going to. And then um, yeah, it was really uh, it was really easy. Definitely the easiest. So hot pictures, you being hot, that was the easiest. That was yeah. the best. What was your least favorite of all of the hot girl jobs you've had? Oh my gosh made a list actually because I couldn't figure out I mean all of them had things that were strange but I got hired at iPick which is a movie theater and oh, you're okay. a server so my friend loved it because you, you get served sushi while you're watching a movie that's badass and, yeah and you get served drinks and that sounds great so I thought well sure I'll try it out so I went and I worked there I was just in training and it's it was so brutal because you're actually serving a full course meal and everything is really heavy and you have to physically carry everything out yourself. And the people who were patrons there, they expected you to like keep your head down so that you could like still see the film, right? Because you're there to watch a movie. Jesus Christ. So you're climbing over people. This is the nightmare of working at the comedy store. So it's dark in the room. You're trying to let them watch the movie, but you're also trying to give them a fucking sashimi bullshit in front of them. Is this what I'm hearing? Yeah, ex- yeah. Except it's even like less relaxed than that, in, in the sense that I feel like with comedy, everyone is kind of having a good time, and so yeah, you have to kind of like you know, get in there and get out. But yeah. but with this, it, it, I don't know if it was the people who were training me, but they they were really intense about making sure you're you're like you're separate, you're not part of the experience, you're trying to stay out of the way, and how would and you you're take also, their like, holding these things? And I was like, I'm gonna like spill all of this all over them. There's no way I can't do it. <laughs> Wait, but how would you take their order and shit if you're not allowed to be like if you're supposed to be hidden in an invisible ghost dropping off fucking things to nosh on? How are you taking orders? You're supposed to like crouch down. I'll die. Like, uh huh. And like they tell you what and they like you write it down and you like kind of crawl back out and your knees like your knees are just. Yeah, I I don't know how they do it. So I get it. Um, And then also I had another one. I, I worked as a zombie on a Walmart commercial and I don't know what it was, but they, the director was not in a good mood. Like when we joined for whatever reason. And so he was yelling at all the crew and everything. And and I don't, yeah. So I kind of got the vibe that this would be interesting. And we were closed really scantily and it was really cold. And then we were covered in mist and fog were coming out of the fog and all of the crew had like blankets and things on and heaters and everything but they had nothing for the uh featured zombies wow and but they made us stand in place as we were coming in and it was so cold i was literally doing like push-ups and stuff just to keep just to keep blood moving and not not freeze and not you know be able to keep keep going and one of the 80s like came over to me or I think maybe just a PA I forget and they're like yeah you need to stop doing that fuck off that's a special kind of hell yeah like when you're (laughs) this this is the glamorous life of an actor y'all like this is what it is like you think your commercials are all a bunch of fun they might be fun to watch and you might be loving it or whatever the hell but like a lot of that was I assume that was non-union there's no way they would have let union actors just stand around well it was it was featured background I kind of got suckered into it because they gave me a really they they called it was I think it was like Sandy Alisi casting or something. They called me out of the blue and they said, oh, you can get paid this really good weekend rate for being a zombie and you get like special days of makeup. And so it was like a nice paycheck. So I was like, oh, OK, all right. You know, and then I and then it was a disaster. And I just remember thinking, like, I'm never doing this again because <laughs> uh. once you're there, I mean, for me, it's like once you've committed to being on a shoot, you 
I mean, there's some people who will just fail on shoots. I've mm-hmm. seen that happen. I've too. Um, yeah. And I, unless it's like a really, you know, like you said, if it's, if it's a non-union shoot or something like that, you know, it's maybe a different situation. I'm not sure. I'm not presuming to speak for people, but definitely, definitely it was, yeah, I knew I needed to get through it. So I was trying to, you know, keep my blood moving. I don't know. How long did they that's keep you? Well, no, that's, I think, I think featured background is customer service for a hell of a lot of reasons, but what, um, how long did they have you wet and, you know, not allowed to do push-ups? Because PAs think they have power. Sorry, y'all. It was, it was a while. It was like maybe an hour, so like maybe That's couple. Too cold. I don't even know. That's too cold and too long. And yeah. Gross. And then I also worked as like a, uh, it was a promotional model at Costco. So more hot girl shit. Like, so so you were you were <laughs> handing out uh, little pizza slices, and everyone was I like, "You're wish, my favorite human." I wish that would have been way 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 better. It was actually makeup. It was Borghese makeup, and Ooh. it was kind of an older crowd that would use this makeup. And I didn't really know much about the company, and they said that's fine. You you don't have to wear the makeup. You can wear your own makeup, and then you just come. And I was in school at the time, so I had my. I, my iPhone or like my headphones in while I was there as like the promo model talking about the makeup and standing by the kiosk. And I would run the earphones down my blouse to the back and the cover of my ear with my hair. And so I was listening to like medieval literature, you know, lectures oh, or something. Why is that for, the cutest thing ever? That's so adorable, Caitlin. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't just like stand there and not get something done. You know? Hot nerd busy. girl shit. You're so cute. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, standing there listening to things about Chaucer or whatever. And um, and it was so funny because, but you, it was really interesting because people would not want to come anywhere near the kiosk. They were so over it. They didn't, they didn't like it. But if you got like maybe one or two ladies to come and be interested, then everyone would swarm it because they were all so interested in what they were missing out on. Isn't that funny? It's the line outside of the empty club argument. It's like everybody wants to be a part of that makes sense to me. It's just human nature. Like you, you don't want to miss out on something good and you don't know what they're, but if you, but if you don't see that happening, then you, you know, you walk right by it or whatever. So it was just really interesting to kind of observe. I like to people watch, I guess. So it was, was, but it was a very strange job. I think good actors are people. We observe people because we have to mimic them and we our experience is different yeah. from their experience. And I think, yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of really talented actors say that they spend a lot of time just observing humans. And when you study improv, they say, you know, start mimicking some person you see down the street or whatever. Okay, so you were a promo model at Costco. Did you eat samples <laughs> whilst you were there? No, that was really forbidden. Yeah, um, hot girl shit. No. See, I'm allowed to eat. <laughs> really like my status in life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we've got that handled. Um, what's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst you were on the clock? Okay. So I, when I was working at Wood Ranch at the Grove, there was this older lady who would come in and apparently she was a regular. I don't know if this is actually true because it was one of the other servers who trained me who was telling me the scoop on this table because I was taking them for the first time. And it, she was apparently the psychic to Jacques Chirac, who was the who had been the French president years prior. So she was a very special psychic. And so he was trying to get me to, you know, get her to tell me my future or something. And so she asked me, what is it that you're here to do? And I said, oh, I'm here to be an actor. She goes, oh, you're going to make it or something like that. Oh, that's lovely. (laughs) And I was, I was kind of like, that's, 
very cliche, <laughs> yeah. but it was like, maybe she is like legit. And I was like, what she does. But I, I went, the, the other server asked me, what did she say? What did she say to you? And I said, oh, she said I was going to make it as an actor. He's like, oh my God, you're going to be famous. You know, it was just, it was so funny. See, I, I totally, that was one of the ones I completely and totally forgot about. But that's such a cool experience that like you only get if you're working specifically in the LA weird, like food service industry, because we run into the psychic of a, you know, former president of a different country. Like, first of all, how much of an asshole are you that you have a psychic that's like, this is no, no, this is the appointed psychic. Fuck off. That's 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 fuck you money, which is kind of awesome, which I guess the president of France has fuck you money. But also, I think it's so cool that in L.A. you get these like it's why all of us are just like you have to be a weirdo actor in L.A. because you're interacting with people that give you Mm endless amounts of stories like that yeah um yeah it's like almost every shift you have some new story and um and then when I was working at Beecher's Madhouse I was serving Stephen Dorff who's an actor and he you know he'd been I had probably a lot of drinks or something and he asked me to get him a pack of cigarettes and we didn't sell cigarettes and I told him that and he said well here just go figure it out and he gave me like two (laughs) hundred dollars to go figure (laughs) it out and I couldn't leave the club because we were it was you know that that period between midnight and 1 a.m where everything was crazy so I sent I paid somebody else not not the entirety of the 200 but I paid somebody else to go across the street and buy a pack of cigarettes and um that was a really funny request and was he grateful I mean you brought it back the cigarette or this other human brought the cigarettes and were you like I'll deliver those to him yeah he was not I don't know if he was really aware of what was going on (laughs) Yeah. He probably is, needed his back of cigarettes. <laughs> that is the most like PC, adorably sweet, very Caitlin way of saying that dude was fucked up on some drugs. And you didn't say yeah. it. I said it. Okay, great. Um, I was like, how do I? It's, it's so funny because I've had like more distance from it. And so now I'm, I'm realizing, wow, that was, yep, that's, there were some crazy situations. Uh-huh. Sure. Did you ever have a situation where you felt in danger at any of these jobs? Oh, for sure. I think one of the interest, well, I got invited after, so it was like when Johnny Depp was going through, I think his split with Vanessa Paradis or something. So he was coming into our club as a friend of one of the promoters, Josh, because I think they'd worked on something before. And so Josh was inviting all of whoever waitresses after the end of the night to come over. Oh, you should come. We're going to party at Johnny Depp's house. You know, you, you need to come, you know, and everything. And I actually did have an audition at 9 a.m. the next morning. And also I was thinking, that is so dangerous to go to somebody's house after a long night of partying where nobody's going to remember anything, you know. So it, it was a lot of things like that where, yeah, you just have to be so careful. Yeah. So there wasn't a situation that you felt like like there wasn't a situation where that danger actually was imminent. There were situations that presented themselves where you were like, oh, this is a bad choice up top, so I'm not going to make it. Is that sort of more your experience? Yeah, I think for me, maybe it comes from I, I, I've been trying to figure out where it was coming from, maybe just how I was raised. And then also that I wasn't really there for that scene. A hundred percent. I really I was yeah. I was wanting to hopefully maybe try to keep up with the, you know, the kids coming out of drama school from England who are just killing it in theater and crushing it and doing Broadway or whatever, you know. Sure. I wanted to try to keep up with that level. And so the nightclub scene was a really just a really good job. But it wasn't really, I wouldn't have otherwise been there, probably. I mean, I might have gone to maybe one or two parties or something like that. But I wasn't going to, 
I, I was not really wanting to really be, I didn't want to be there. <laughs> but that's, that's... I was just kind of in and out, you know? So, but it was interesting because then it kind of sort of helped me see more of the reality and of the industry and just kind of what's actually going on, you know, and things like that. So I think in a way it was really, really useful because I was getting paid to basically be out and meeting people. And I think one of the benefits to working in the service industry in LA is that you will walk into pretty much any bar or club in LA and know maybe at least one or two people there. Mm-hmm. Either they're an employee because you've worked with them somewhere else or there's somebody in the industry that you know. So it's kind of a nice way to get to meet people maybe. But I agree with that. It was also, you know, I think at the time it was just sort of overwhelming. <laughs> it was just crazy. It was crazy. It was awesome. We also thought we were going to get fired every single shift. And we also thought the place was probably going to get shut down every single shift. Well, yeah, I mean, the fire marshal stuff, people don't, that doesn't get messed around with in LA. Like if you're caught, you're, unless you're paying a lot of people off, they take that extremely seriously. So that would be that stress of like, is this business going to get shut down? I've worked at places like that before. And that stress is just, it's, it's exhausting. Do you have an incident where And I also feel like there was a lot of, Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I think we have a delay. I'm sorry. I think there was a delay. Yeah. 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 You're okay. Yeah. Um, there was also just, it was kind of, you know, that whole me too thing of, producers and that sort of thing and so it took me maybe a little bit to kind of figure out what they were doing because they would always kind of turn it on you and make you feel like you're the one being uncomfortable when they're the one being uncomfortable oh it's such a great point that's exactly what they do yeah 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 so you kind of have to or at least I learned well and it was also too we'd look around maybe at the party you were at or something and see okay so what actresses are actually here in terms of quality, like, is Meryl Streep here? Probably not. <laughs> you know sure, I mean? sure. <laughs> yeah. It was more like A-list actor guys or something like that. You sure. Know? So it, it, there was a lot of clues in terms of what to avoid. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely dodged a lot of bullets because I did know a lot of the people who are now, you know, being canceled, I guess, or, you know, shown, yeah, having their true colors shown, being, being accused yeah. of things and it being shown that they've done those things. yeah. And yeah. there's still a lot of them that I don't know that they've really faced the consequences yet. Sure. So, it's, but it definitely seems like people are a little bit more aware of that or something. Well, there's actual consequences now and there really weren't yeah. before, especially for, you know, rich white men. It was like, you can do whatever you want. And now it's like, eh, no, less of that. I mean, we haven't made all the right strides, but we're getting closer. Do you have an incident that made one of your customers ask to speak with your manager? Ah. So many times, so many times. <laughs> that is shocking to me, Caitlin. I thought you were going to be like, never, honest to God. I don't, I always got uh, that I was, I always had an attitude with people, maybe because I just felt like they were being terrible. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an example of Caitlin attitude. Cause I, is it, you just stop smiling or I can't imagine you would tell someone to like fuck off. So oh, no, I've never done that. Yeah, I know her eyes just um, got really big. Caitlin doesn't curse. I, Go ahead, Caitlin. So what, <laughs> yeah. what did you, <laughs> what's an incident with Caitlin attitude? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I'm very straightforward about like, you don't touch me. Good for like, you. you. Don't. Yeah. Like you can use your words and you can talk to me, but you don't have to touch me to ask me what you want to drink. So it was kind of like that. And I would just sort of get more tired of it. It depended on what it was, but I just remember one time when I was at Beecher's, um, it was towards the end of the night, we had a big spender who bought just ridiculous amounts of champagne, like the big champagne bottles that you had to like wheel out on the oh, cart God. and everything. So it they whatever. So they wanted to have a group photo with the staff and everything. And 
the guy just kept wanting to put his arm around me. And I said, no, you don't need to do that. And he, I think he called me a bitch or something and whatever. And I just like moved to the other side. Because, <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Thank you very much. But did so, he, so he calls you a bitch. Does he ask to speak to your manager after he calls you outside of your name? Possibly. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's back to your question. Sorry, I'm not really answering your question. Um, no, you're fine. That's a great, that's a great example of some bullshit that bottle service girls have to deal with all the time. I think... With bottle service, they're not so much speak to your manager. It's more because everything, there's such loud music. Sure. And usually the managers in, okay, so in a, there's a very big difference between a nightclub in terms, and I'm sure you've experienced maybe some of this, like in, in terms of security. Yes. So you're dealing, you're dealing with a totally different crowd. It's extremely chaotic. Yes. Usually they have, usually they don't have as much security as they need to. So a lot of times yes. people who come in to spend a lot of money, they have their own security. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, and also smart. <laughs> yeah. And so you can't even hardly get through the crowd because people are so drunk and sweaty. And you, I basically just like flat, my way of getting through the crowd would be to flash people with a flashlight, like a really bright flashlight and like the brighter, the better. Yeah. <laughs> and, I would, and I would just sort of push through the crowd and stuff. What I, what you would get in trouble for more in a nightclub is payment. Like came in and his credit card got declined for his order. And it was because I think on tour or something and so it was messing up the account but he was a regular or whatever and so I talked to my manager about what I should do and he said it's fine you know just try to collect cash so I tried to collect cash and you know it wasn't all there because he he bought a lot of stuff and then what was crazy was he this kind of goes back to like an, another episode where somebody was talking about what you may call it there but it was he was buying a bottle of Patron Platinum and we didn't have that and that's all he wanted or it was some particular kind of Patron, I forget. We we were totally out. That's like he he just had to have that or else he was going to leave. Really, really, yeah. Yeah. Or he was going to like, I don't know what he was going to do. It was bad because he would always come there and get whatever he wanted. So then my manager just took like regular <laughs> whatever it was and like topped the bottle off and like sent me out there with it. And I was like, this is so insane. But then I got in trouble for not collecting the full amount of cash because he just didn't have it. So that was that was like my first write up with them. How's that uh, on you, though? If he if he's telling you, don't worry, since the credit cards decline, just like try and get cash. I don't go out to clubs with cash on me. I've got my card and that's it. I mean, what, what would you yeah. do? Like, that's not actually on you. That's what a manager needs to go to the table and be like, yeah. and make up some fanciful reason like, oh, the credit card machine's down, whatever, if, if it's an ego slight. But yeah. if they don't have the cash, that's literally not on you. Also, if he's a regular, you can right. make up the difference the next time he comes in. I don't know. Yeah, honestly, it's probably, the whole thing was so chaotic. Yeah. Like, there was no rhyme or reason there was a million things going on. Maybe they, I don't know, who knows? I wasn't really making friends with a lot of the promoters. I wasn't really like working it because a lot of the girls would, you know, the clubs would turn over so fast. So they would only be a popular club for a certain amount of time and then it would close and then it would become something else or the, the owners would go and start a new club and have a new name or whatever. Sure. So the only way to like keep in that job would be to, the promoters would kind of have you follow them around. So they would oh. recommend you to the next person because you bring in this this particular spender wants you to be their server. And, you know, it's very I'm sure it's just basic sales or whatever, but it was just too much for me. I didn't really want to know any of these people. <laughs> I just kind of wanted to sort of be the waitress and clean the table and pour the drinks like the old fashioned way. Like just be very <laughs> like basic about my bottle service and just get it done, you know. 
And yeah, so I think I was kind of more on the, I'm honestly surprised I even got hired because normally you had to be really tan, you know, really like big boobs and, you know, like you had to be a certain type usually to even get a job as a bottle service girl. But I think that was a very unique nightclub because the manager was from New York. And so he kind of had a different aesthetic and he hired a lot of more naturally beautiful girls. Like we all looked different. So we all had kind of our own. And it was, I would thought that was kind of cool. That's actually smart. Yeah. That's a sales play. Um, But it was also kind of this crazy thing where you could get fired for anything that didn't have anything to do with you. So you're just sort of, you're just sort of there until either the club shuts down or you have to move on. So it's a very unpredictable sort of thing, but it was an amazing paycheck. I mean, in terms of what people would spend on bottles, it's insane. Yeah, it is. It's throwing away money, in my opinion. Uh, What's the last really got you out of any of the customer service jobs that you've had that would be like a good quitting story? That's a good question. I mean, honestly, it was just COVID. Like COVID kind of just shut everything down. But I think in terms of like, let's see, quitting or leaving. Like, was there any job you left in a fantastic way that you were like? I wish. That was always my fantasy <laughs> was like to, to, you know, like to do yeah. like a, like the twins in the Harry Potter series who have like a really epic <laughs> Yes. Like leaving of Hogwarts and like totally, you know, booby trap everything and do this crazy, you know, and I, I, honestly, like a lot of me and the other staff would talk about what we would do if we ever got the chance to do that. And it never really happened. Oh, so, that's okay. Maybe, you know, maybe you'll get to walk off set in some fantastic way. And now that you don't have to do customer service. I'm anymore. trying to think maybe, you know, maybe I, oh, you know what? That was one of the last jobs I had. It was a nightclub that was hiring a cocktail server and it was they were so shady. It was really, really bad. They didn't, they didn't pay me any hourly even if they told me they would. And so as soon as I figured out that they weren't going to pay me, even though I was helping them all night, I got into an argument with the manager in front of the entire staff. And I just, I just said, I'm, I'm out of here. Like I'm done. Good for you. I left. So it was like a big thing. And I think he yelled at me or something, but yeah, that was definitely probably the most dramatic exit I've had is telling off somebody. And it was really, I think the rest of the staff I could tell they all were, sort of living through me or something they were like tell it girl tell it did they um did you do you remember anything you said oh my gosh I think it was I'm trying to think what the context was because and it was when they had turned like the lights on it was the manager I said excuse me but I was gonna be paid hourly and he said no that wasn't our agreement you you have to I forget what he said I think it was something like you have to earn your way or something like I don't it was very strange and I just remember telling him absolutely not I quit and I think I might have said something like karma or something I've this is terrible I'm that's okay no it's fine but you told him off and you left there yeah. if you think of it tell me um how many bodily fluids have been on you whilst you were working I feel like I've done pretty well I mean people when people have like projectile vomited and, and like passed me or whatever yeah I never have gotten like hit with it or you know. oh, you're lucky okay yeah um I feel like I've gotten like sweat or sure you know more just like gross yeah Anybody ever bleed on you? No. You ever have to call an ambulance? I've bled, I've, I've bled on myself. Like I was doing bottle service for this club called the King King. And I was crawling over the bar to give to get a bottle to go take it to the table because it was so crazy. And I somehow like fell and I hit my shin on the bar or something. And then it bled. So then I Ooh. had like this. It looked really dramatic because it was like my leg was like bleeding. Gushing. Yeah. Have you ever had to call an ambulance for anybody? in the club scene or is that usually security i think it's usually the, the manager yeah or the or the hotel or like wherever it, yeah wherever it is do you tip yeah how much 20 percent. okay unless 
unless they've done like an amazing job or something or like, I don't know. And then if it's just, I don't know, sometimes if it's just takeout or if it's just like Starbucks or I don't know, I don't, I don't know. It depends. It depends on like what it is. Do you tip the coffee person? Yes. You do. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. not tip? Unless it's just really bad, it, but never, not just if it was like, it was told, cause you can tell when it's beyond their control. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. I think you can, if you're paying attention. But yeah, if it's like something, uh, if it's really bad service, then no tip for you. Okay. Um, have you ever been stiffed? Oh, yes. So many times. <laughs> Can you remember why? Or was it just like, oh, cool. Yet another person didn't tip me. You know, I think it's sometimes that people just don't know. Sometimes they're not from the U.S. or whatever. Or sometimes I feel like if they're a celebrity and they just don't know, because sometimes celebrities get paid to go to places, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. so they kind of, sometimes, if, especially if they're a child actor, so they, they've never been in the service industry or whatever, they just don't even know that that's what they should do. Um, so a lot of times we would kind of know, especially, especially when you're pulling tips, you know, cause we were all kind of aware of what's happening. What's the best tip you've ever gotten? Are you comfortable saying? Sure. $10,000. Holy fuck you, Caitlin. Are, I I, fuck. When Rogan handed me a hundred once, I was like, best night ever. How yeah, did you get? That was on, okay. So let me, so first of all, it was a tip pool and it was, it was Beecher's Madhouse and it was. Uh, Mark Cuban and he always he would always over tip what his bill was and I think he's still honestly I saw him in a different place and I think he consistently does that I'm not sure um, I won't speak for him but he's really really nice probably one of the easiest people to serve because you don't really see it coming you know he just he just does it and God I remember damn. my manager actually thinking that I wrote in all these extra zeros or something and so he took it back to Mark and he said I just want to make sure that you meant to do this and he said oh yeah no Caitlin was great or something and sent him back and I was like, yes but then the whole team was like so happy to get that, you know, because we all pulled tips and we, you know, tipped everybody out and everything. So how much of that 10,000 did you actually see? I think it was, well, okay. So we also had other tips coming in as well. So then it, because it was the Roosevelt Hotel, it went on your paychecks. So it also got taxed. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Okay. But, but it, I mean, you're not going to complain though. I think, I, I think after taxes, it was like 2,500 or something, but that's still, not, you know, that's, that's, uh, that'll cover your expenses for a month. That, that's kind of nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. have you ever been fired from a customer service job? Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. We're going to move on. Who's the, uh, <laughs> who's the worst customer that you've ever had to interact with? I think it might've been, I mean, so many different, so many different choices, yeah. but I think maybe more recently there was a couple who, we're at this rooftop bar I was working at and they seemed a little strange. They seemed very picky for what it was because it's normally very busy and I had, you know, eight tables or whatever it is. And so they were kind of looking for things to find fault with. Like they wanted a napkin down first and, you know, just different things. And <sighs> those people are and so then, terrible. And then he complained to my manager that I spilled his martini on him, on his khaki pants or something. And I forget did you actually because, spill oh, it? She, no. And I forget the tell. It was like, it was the fact that the cocktail was supposed to have peach schnapps and we didn't have peach schnapps. So then my manager knew he was lying. Wait, um, how did he know he was lying about being spilled on? How did this happen? Wow. It's like, I'm 
<laughs> I'm like lose. I think I've just like suppressed all these memories. No, that's part of survivalness. <laughs> if you if you had like interviewed me maybe back like in March, I would have just been like you spilling know, the it'd, tea. It'd be like it'd be like it'd be so fresh, you know. Yeah. But I honestly am like, what was that even about? I I feel like he ordered some kind of it was Sex on the Beach because Sex on the Beach has peach schnapps, and he said that I spilled his Sex on the Beach on his pants or something, and he wanted his whole meal comped, and that I had attitude or something. And my manager said, we actually don't have peach schnapps, so you wouldn't have that martini or something like that. Like, so in other uh, words, uh, uh. I, for- I forget exactly what it was, but he knew that what he was talking about, or he said, he goes, um, she, yeah, she spilled the martini on me and now my khaki pants smell like peach schnapps or something. Oh, and that's what it was. So it was something like caught in a lie, caught in a lie. And it was just kind of scary because it's like there are those people who try to get free things by throwing the, the waiter underneath the bus or something. Oh, that happens all the time. But you know what? I If I were the manager, what I would have said is what grown ass motherfucking dude is drinking sex on the beach? No, that's a disgust. All that is is liquefied sugar. Like that's the bullshit yeah. you drink at 18 when you think you're drinking booze. But what you're actually drinking is diabetes that like as a as a grown ass human being. No, yeah. you might as well have what is it? Smirnoff ice and like throw a Pez in there. The bullshit we did in college. The thought of drinking a sex on the beach right now makes me want to throw up all over myself. Graduate your taste buds, liar. Yeah, it was kind of one of those like funny things where it was like the joke was totally on them. Yeah, you dumb fuck. And, and it was also he was gone for a while. So I remember I actually like set the martini down and walked away because he wasn't back yet to get his drink. Yeah, just the whole thing. It was just it just drove. I think it was just like the I was like, that is that is like the worst person. And then they like, you know, stiff me or whatever. Zero big fat zero. I would say the most unfortunate customer was this man who was celebrating his birthday had a huge party he paid for so much his bill was enormous he was paying for all of his friends and his fiance was there and they were celebrating he got so incredibly wasted he ended up hitting on this other girl who was not his fiance and then he got so drunk he literally projectile vomited across the it was like the service area and security and everything it was it was so bad and so the security was like having to try to get him out before he started puking and everything and so they got him out to fire escape and everything and then when he gets outside they're like okay you can just stay here you know you don't have to worry you can because he hadn't paid his bill yet right so (laughs) he's down on the street they just thought he could they could leave him down there for a second on the curb and he would be okay and then he could come back up and it'd be fine well he gets so belligerent and crazy that he wanders around so he gets lost so then his fiance is trying to call him and she's asking me where her guy is because he's supposed to pay the bill and she wants to leave and so i'm trying to figure out where this guy went and he's out somewhere and then next thing i know they said "Uh oh he started um peeing on the sidewalk oh no and, oh no and this is in beverly hills and so the cops see him do this and then the cops arrest him oh my gosh for, for indecent exposure <laughs> and drunk in public he probably got two citations oh that sucks bless his yeah, heart and then fiance who may not have continued to stay his fiance who knows she had to pick up the tab that's brutal <laughs> and probably bail his ass out of jail and she had to go down there and talk to the cops so it was just this really unfortunate like the most expensive way to ruin your life really (laughs) (laughs) because like every single thing that could possibly not like in a a, i I don't even know how this guy managed to do that in a few hours like how do you even do this yeah that's a Um, that's an impressive way to ruin your life well on that note we're going to move on to the good stuff we hope you all saved room for dessert 
All right, we are back. What was the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? And it, I mean, Mark Cuban is up there. That's a uh, that's pretty dope. But yeah. if you think of another example of a nice thing a customer did for you, I'll take that. So many. I mean, so many really, really, really generous people who are just really kind and lovely, and you know, they always kind of made. Looking back on it, it's it's quite unique. It's very unique to LA and probably you know, other cities. But yeah, I'm trying to think. Drew Carey would always tip $100 at Wood Ranch. And then Kevin Connolly also would always tip at least $100. And I guess he used to be a server or something. So that's actually really surprising because um, I've heard mixed reviews about him. So that's good to know that that's how he tips. He was very, very consistent, even if he only got um, a soda water or something. Oh, bless always... him. That's really sweet. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, and then there's also when I <laughs> I worked at Texas Roadhouse. And Not a girl. The Springs. Not and, a girl. And I would, I would, the least favorite thing, like if I the could have would be the sweeping of the peanuts. Oh, it's a nightmare. Yes. And also just the fact that it's part of the experience to throw your peanut shells on the floor. Uh-huh. There's a lot of people who just love this and they think it's the cutest thing ever or something. And I must be germaphobic or something, but it just creeps me out that they would like throw like they bite into the shell and then they throw like the shell on the floor yeah, i don't gross. know it's that just, gross like why so i so at texas roadhouse there was just these really lovely people who gave me a really generous tip just because they were really supportive of what i was doing so it's not even so much you know just really lovely people all always find quality people at some point you know so yeah, you do. And and it is nice when they honor the thing you're doing outside of the job that they meet you at. That's always a really lovely I've had it that a few times myself. And it is really it's they see you as a whole person and they see you as more than just the person that's bringing them, you know, the ribeye or whatever the hell they're like, oh, you're like a fully realized human that has oh, things outside. Of I this. just thought of a little uh, memory. OK, so I yeah. was tray passing hors d'oeuvres at the SAG Awards after party. Um, and so all of the nominated actors were there and it was really fun because you're sort of mingling. It was more more of a private party so it was just the people at the ceremony in this tent thing mm-hmm. and I go well you're not allowed to eat I go back to this area where they were putting all the hors d'oeuvres on the sheets and everything and there was a guy with his back to me and he was eating off the tray and all the other servers were eating I was like oh my god this is so great because I was so hungry and you're not supposed to eat while you're passing trays especially at events like that's a sure. definitely you know a catering catering no no catering no no uh-huh Unless it's like a private catering company and then they, they will have you have your dinner time or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But this was very much you're not allowed to eat the hors d'oeuvres while you're out pay passing and everything. So I got really excited. And so as he's this man is holding this tray, I reach over his shoulder and I grab one of the mushrooms or something. And he goes, hey, what am I, a server? And he turns around and it's Mark Ruffalo. Oh, get out of here. He's so lovely. Absolutely delightful human being. And was he was yeah. and did he laugh or was he just like it was clear he was Yeah. I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, No, no, no. He says, I used to do this for over ten years or twelve I said, I didn't no, he says I did this for twelve years. He was it was really a really lovely so he was kind of, you know, joining in with the staff or whatever. But it was so cute because the other bartenders who were working, they got really big eyes and they said, You did this for twelve years? <laughs> <laughs> that's what it took and I could tell that they're they're they were probably not they were not going to go forward with this career choice yeah, they're like fuck acting can't handle it I mean I get it I get it God love him yeah he's a really lovely human being and I love hearing that confirmed over and over because I had a positive experience with him he's lovely okay who who's the best customer you've ever interacted with you know I guess I'll talk about this one really amazing particular job I had it was the CEO of 
Paramount, Brad Gray's wedding. And um, he he had the most insanely lavish wedding you've ever seen. I, at first, I thought that's what they all did or something, because it was when I was very kind of new to L.A. And I had no idea that that was actually a very, very, very extravagant wedding, even by Hollywood standards. Mm-hmm. But my job, so I had, I had dyed my hair brunette at the time. And so me and my other friend, we both got hired to be, um, once again, <laughs> this is so funny. I wasn't expecting Hot this to girl be shit. My podcast. Tell us, Caitlin, <laughs> how hard is your life? <laughs> I know. It's like, wow, I really, I did well. Okay. All right. Um, I, you just, you just don't think about it in that way because you're just whatever you need. Like, you're just you. Anyways. You're just you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so we, I had, I had found this job on Craigslist. I, I was always kind of looking for new jobs on Craigslist because you always, I always just needed to have a job no matter what was happening. So mm-hmm. there's this one particular catering company that was hiring um, models to do catering events, you know, that sort of thing. So me and my friend got hired because we both had brown hair and pale skin. And this particular job was just tray passing hors d'oeuvres, but we were dressed up like the Addicted to Love music video. Oh, cool. And they actually had us like styled where our hair was perfectly, you know, parted off all in unison. We all looked like clones of each other. Hair and bun, you know, red lips, really dramatic eye makeup. And then we were all wearing the same exact black dresses. So it looks like we're the girls, you know, yeah. playing guitars in the background. Addicted to Love, you know. So it was cute. It was a cute theme. I could understand it sort of odd for a wedding but whatever yeah. it makes you happy you know what I mean sure so it's cool so we we show up and that's our one job is they it was actually at Frank Sinatra's old house in Benedict Canyon and they built over the pool with uh grass so they had the ceremony out on the lawn it was this really beautiful ceremony and then the guests would move through and they had this whole build out for them to walk through from the ceremony up through to the dinner area and so we were just there to hold trays while they were just mingling through to the dinner and the dinner was this incredible build out with like glass and columns and it was just spectacular and every single person was there Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and John Samos and Susan Sarandon and all the producers ever it was strange because he was marrying somebody who wasn't known I guess I mean she worked for the company but we didn't really know who she was and her whole family was from I think Eastern Europe or something. So the family was all on one side and then all these other famous people were everywhere else. So it was almost like they were kind of obligated to be there for work. I mean, it felt like a work party kind of, Mm, you know. That's tough, yeah. So it was interesting. It was really interesting. So it was really fun. So Susan Sarandon was one person who kind of interacted with us and she says, oh, what do you have here? Tell me about it. And she's just super nice. So it was just really funny. It was like super odd. And then what was crazy was after that happened, we didn't really have a job, really, except just to kind of find things to do because then they they had other th- they had a huge staff. It was incredible, and then they had Gwen Stefani was the singer. Oh, so Jesus uh, <laughs> this is fuck you, money. Good lord. I know maybe yeah. So we stood. Um, we kind of just decided to give ourselves a job. So we're because you know sometimes like perception is reality, and also we can be there to help people no matter what. So we just kind of like station ourselves right at these columns, this entryway leading into the whole dinner area where everybody is sitting. And Allie, Allie and I are just there and nobody really questions it because there's just so many like different people and different staff members. So for all anybody knows, we've been told to stay there so that we can help people or something. So we just owned it. And it was this really interesting, very long ceremony. And, you know, people were having speeches and stuff. And then up the aisle comes Larry David. I was like, Allie, isn't that Larry David? She goes, yeah. And he comes up, he goes, okay, girls, do you know of a back exit? 
I gotta get out of here. That's such a Larry <laughs> David line. <laughs> he was, he is himself. He's like, dead he ass. Totally. So it serious. It was amazing. And actually what was amazing is Allie and I actually did have a secret passage because we'd been stashing leftover bouquets and leftover champagne in this little like hovel area, our own little, you know, secret stash or whatever. So we actually had a back exit. So we actually showed him how to escape out the back and he was very grateful. I bet. We helped Larry David escape from a wedding. That's that's a great story. Okay. What's the best lesson you've learned whilst working customer service? I think learning how to conform to a certain kind of job, like really paying attention to what that job needs you to do and then kind of adjusting and sort of getting your own ego out of it or whatever it is, kind of getting it back down to, I'm grateful to have this job. It's helping me to do what I want to do. And because at times it can be really frustrating, you know, and I think it has made me a better person having to just be grateful. I guess. I don't know. No, don't. Um, Caitlin, that's a great no, response. I love that. That's really it's, lovely. It's, it's more than just gratitude, though. It's more it's more like learning how to help get the job done in that particular kind of high intensity way, because you're kind of juggling multiple things at once and just kind of letting all the drama sort of subside and just figure just figuring out what what is actually important and what what you're actually because sometimes you start to lose touch with the fact that these are some really good people's memories. Like, you know, they're having a birthday or they're having a thing. And so sometimes it gets really easy to sort of, it's all the same and you're just kind of going from one thing to the next, but then being able to sort of drop in and connect, connect to strangers really, and help them have a good experience. It sounds so cheesy, but no, are you kidding? I love, are you kidding? I love all that spiritual crap. I'm way here for it. Uh, I love that. And that is something that I need to remember. I don't think about that ever. I mean, I'm, I'm in such a combative, bitter, like, I hate this experience that it is nice to be reminded, no, this is someone's wedding or birthday, or that's a really lovely, no one said that yet. Well done, Caitlin. And what's one piece of advice that you would give to customers who, who interact with customer service workers? Know what you want. And then, and then even if you don't know what you want, just communicate that. Or, you know, just be honest or whatever. And then also just be patient and kind. I mean, not, you know, because I get that, you know, you don't have to feel, you know, bad that someone's having to be your server or something like that. It's not like that. It's just being able to sort of empathize or or just I feel like the best customers are usually the ones who are there. They're having a good time. They know why they want to be there. They know what they what they want. They have a good experience. They thank you and they leave. Like it's not um, 100 percent. It's not laborious. Yeah, that doesn't feel it's like we do in theory. I mean, a lot of us do want them to have a good time and do want to be part of their good time. It's not fun to wait on a bunch of people that are pissed that they have to be there or pissed at you or whatever. It's like if people Mm -hmm. are just down to have fun, I want to be around those people all the time, whether I'm working or not. Oh, you're just down to have a good time. Let's just have a good time. Like this. This isn't complex. We're giving you booze and food. It is not complicated at all. Exactly. And I think uh, people who are, you know, if, if something goes wrong, which probably there will be something that doesn't isn't quite right. You know, what will we'll, I'm sure like, I mean, I don't I don't I mean, even in like the craziest places, I, I know that the managers are always trying to make sure that they could try to do something. Yeah, you know, so yeah, I, I think sometimes people go from like zero to 60. Or they look, they also are looking for opportunities to do that too, because that that's a difficulty yeah. of working customer service. Well, Caitlin, how can people get in touch with you? Are you one of, you know, the actors that wants to put their social media out there? Or are you being oh, sure. cagey with it? All right, girl. No, how, how, how can people find you? Um, my Instagram is my name all spelled out. So 
Caitlin Staten. Can you spell it for people? K-A-T-E-L-Y-N-S-T-A-T-T-O-N. And also look me up on IMDb. Amazing. Um, Well, (laughs) folks, we are going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, tell your friends to listen because why haven't you done that yet? We've had so many episodes. You should have already done that. And this is fun to listen to, right? We'll tell them to get their laughs from us. Also, it will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind. And we'll be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here at Service from Hell, send us your receipts at servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And please remember that if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thank you, Caitlin. This was so lovely to have you on. Thank you for giving us all of your time tonight. Yes. This is so fun, Kate. You're amazing. Oh, you're amazing. I don't know I, how you're going to edit this, but yeah. Girl, it's going to be amazing. You, it doesn't require much editing at all. You were lovely. All right, folks. Thanks. That's going to be a good night, everybody. Bye.